Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and that makes this stuff you should miss. <laughs> Did you hear Snoop Dogg's son got a uh, football scholarship to, I think, UCLA? Yeah, so did uh, P. Diddy's. No way. Yeah, and actually, Sean Combs is, was the first to happen. It was about a month ago. Uh-huh. And a lot of people got upset because they were like, we shouldn't you know, be paying for this millionaire, multimillionaire son to go to college. I should see that. But it was all explained. The sports guys came out and really defended it and said, it's not you paying for it. It's athletic scholarships that are earned by athletes. And it's a they're paid for by the Brewster Club. Well, probably, but it, it was like basically, it's not like some kid is missing out on an education because P. Diddy's son earned a football scholarship. Okay, he should be treated the same, and so should Snoop Dogg's son. Were, was there an outcry about Snoop Dogg's son? Uh, not as much because he's the G, you see. Right. <laughs> no one likes Puffy. Right. Like I don't want to pay for that. I don't understand. He seems like a nice enough guy. Uh, yeah. He was friends with Biggie Smalls. I was in his house once. Did I ever tell you that? No. I had to I was working on a music video with him and I had to deliver as a PA something to his home okay. in Beverly Hills. Okay. And I went to the door and I rang the doorbell and some really large guy in a warm up suit mm-hmm. and like a Kangol hat uh invited me in and took my thing and then escorted me out. Nice. So I was like in the little foyer and it was like lots of white marble and I mean it looked it could have been like the King of France living there as far as I know. Yeah. There's like a fountain of Ciroc vodka. <laughs> it was really like pretty plush. Of course, you know, he's rich. By took your thing, is that legal? Are you talking about everything above the board? Oh, yeah. It was it was like a video cassettes for the gotcha. shoot or something like that. Cool. It, I wouldn't be delivering anything illegal. Right. Well, I didn't know if he did something illegal to you by taking your thing. Oh, no, no, as no. You no. Put it. it was all in the up and up. Good going, Chuck. Anyway, I haven't been to Snoop's house yet, That's... although I did see him one night in Atlanta. You did? Yeah, I can't tell that story, though. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell he, you after. He lives here part-time, doesn't he? Uh, I don't he know. He used to, I believe. I'm not sure. Huh. What a weird start for the show. Yeah, it is a little weird, especially since we're talking about space elevators. <laughs> nothing to do with this. this. It's not like we're talking about like P-Funk or George Clinton or anything nope. like that, or even Bill Clinton. Although I bet George Clinton could build a space elevator in his mind. Right. <laughs> you know? He has. Many times, Chuck. Um well, I've got I've got something. I, I have an actual okay, a real intro. Yeah, it seems kind of stupid now. Let's hear it. Uh, well, okay. Um, Five fifty-seven a.m. on July twenty-first, two thousand eleven, about a year ago, something big ended. Something that really helped with our childhood, like really was an icon of our childhood. I, I'm not even going to let you guess. Okay. The space shuttle program. Uh, of course. The program ended. Yeah. It started in 1981, and it went all the way to 2011. Yep. 30 she, great years. She had a good run. Yeah. Um, and uh, More uh, than 100 missions? 135. Wow. Um, and actually, there's this awesome thing on Gizmodo. It's You can watch all of the space shuttle launches at once. Really? It's just like 135 little tiles on the screen, uh-huh. and it's like, you know, starting from countdown to liftoff, and like, it's got everything. Well, it's, they probably don't have the, the one ill-fated attempt. 
There were two accidents. One, yeah, it's there. I think really? I found it, and it just goes dark at about the time the Challenger um, exploded. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was. this was a huge deal for our childhood, but it was also you know, a huge deal for the space program because when they launched the first shuttle, I think it was Columbia, um, it was the first time that anyone had ever shot a spacecraft into space and then brought it back intact. Yeah, reusable not, was huge. Yeah. We're not talking like a capsule where like Larry Hagman comes down and splashes into the sea <laughs> and then gets out. Yeah. The, because those capsules weren't reused. This was like we have an appropriately named space shuttle. Yeah, a space you just plane. Go there and back. Basically. Exactly. It even looked like a plane. So it was a big deal when this happened and it proved like, okay, we can go to space and back using the same equipment. It brought costs down tremendously. Sure. They're still pretty high. Um, and then the, the space shuttle program ends and everybody's like, how are we going to get to space and back now, Obama? Yeah. Did you think this through? <laughs> right. And uh, Obama didn't say it, but I'll bet he was thinking it when he was kind of skulking away after being shouted at for mm-hmm. basically closing NASA. Not true. Um, he probably thought, have you ever heard of the space elevator, dummy? <laughs> he should say that. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about, Josh. And I thought this was a thrilling article. <laughs> you thought the article itself was thrilling? No, no, no. The con- oh. the concept of a space elevator. Well, it is. Yeah. Yeah. The article itself was a little meh. Yeah, it was a little 2005-y. Yeah. It's a little outdated. But it's pretty cool. Um, so you mentioned the space shuttle. Uh, even though the space shuttle took place over the span of, what did you say, 30 years? Yeah, 81 to 2011. Uh, the price of getting the thing going didn't change a whole lot, which was pretty remarkable. Yeah. It stayed about $10,000 per pound. Right. So, and they originally predicted when they were working on the shuttle program before it started that it was going to be about $50 million a mission. Yeah. It came to about $500 million a mission. Yeah. Right. And every mission, they spent half a billion dollars on the shuttle the shuttle mission. Yeah. Um, and uh, that $10,000 per pound, 90% of that is fuel. Yeah. Is that the per pound of everything on there? Yeah. I think it's just like that kind of equation. So a lighter astronaut would be cheaper? Or is I don't, it, it's, I don't really it's just think, symbolic? I think, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I think it's more like... Like if you if you take the full weight of this this yeah and divide it by the money spent yes I get it so in theory a lighter astronaut would make it cheaper but not really not really okay um because I think they had those astronauts like weighed down to the gram exactly what they wanted them to weigh sure like they would probably be like you need to excrete because you're about to suit up go excrete yeah you need to pee six ounces <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, I'd be a great astronaut then because I can pee on command. Can you really? Almost always. Okay, so I've got something for you about six ounces. Um, there, have you seen the the little diagram of a solo cup? You know the lines on a solo cup. Yes. They're measurements. The bottom one are they really? Is an ounce. The top one, so like liquor. Yeah. The the middle one, five ounces for wine. And then yes. I'm not kidding. The 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 lowest top band. It's for port wine. Is, <laughs> that's the 16 ounce. No, it's 12 ounces for beer. Huh. I never knew that. Yep. That's ingenious. It is. I love little tidbits like that. Like the amount of uh, matches in a matchbook is equal to the amount of cigarettes in a pack. Oh, I didn't know that. That yeah. makes sense. Sure. Huh. We should just talk about those things all day instead of space elevators. No, let's talk about the space elevator. All right. Let's talk about it. Um, 
quickly a space elevator, and we'll we'll get into the specifics here. Mm-hmm. But what it basically is, it's a uh, a ribbon, a carbon nanotube composite ribbon, right? Anchored to a platform offshore, yeah, way out in the Pacific Ocean, yeah. And it has a counterweight way up in space, sixty-two thousand miles, and they basically would that would be the elevator shaft, and they would send stuff crawling up and down this ribbon uh, to outer space. Yes. Have you ever seen somebody, like a piano mover, lift a piano into a second-story apartment? That, except in space. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I don't like the comparison to the game of tetherball here. I thought it was a terrible, terrible analogy. So let's just skip it. Yeah. Because it didn't make much sense to me. Yeah, I think you you said it. Like, basically, we're, we're connecting a line between a platform in the ocean and a satellite up in space. Yeah. And we're putting something on it that can go up and down. Yeah, and the cool thing of, (laughs) we should just stop right there. The cool thing about this is, to me, is that every single part of this is feasible right now to do, Mm -hmm. except for the one thing that they need to do it, which are the carbon nanotubes that go 62,000 miles into space. Yes. They're around. Right. But we can't make them that long yet. Right. There's, um, that's... I think you, I think that's that's a really good point. Like we, all of this is just waiting. Yeah. And I saw a little video that Michio Kaku or Kaku um, made about this, explaining it. I saw that. And he was saying like everything's been surmounted yeah. now. Like now it's all in the realm of physical possibility. There's just a few more breakthroughs, and it's all carbon nanotubes. Yep. Which are we've talked about graphene before, right? Yeah. Strongest substance known to man or humankind. That's right. Um, it's a one atom thick layer of carbon. Incredibly strong. It's like 100 times stronger than steel yeah. at about one-fifth of the weight. And a carbon nanotube is a layer of graphene rolled into a tube. Yep. Like it looks like chicken wire. Exactly. A, a soccer ball chicken wire. Yeah. It, like if you spread out a length of chicken wire and then roll it up, mm-hmm. nanotube. Yeah. Carbon and, nanotube. And we say soccer ball because the shape... Of uh, the traditional soccer ball, not these crazy ones they're using these days. I don't even recognize it as a soccer ball. <laughs> yeah, but the, the old school soccer ball, that mm-hmm. shape is the same, uh, the same shape as as these carbon atoms, right. which is the key to it, its strength. Exactly. Um, I've been at, I've seen it described as um, stiff but flexible, like a steel guitar string. Mm-hmm. So it moves, but it's still super super strong. And um, even though it's just a few atoms across. They are 10 million times as long as they are wide once you get this thing going. Right. So like a guitar string. Yeah, well, because these are nanotubes, so like their diameter is like a few billionths of a meter. I think one billionth. Is that right? Yeah, because a nano is a billion. A billionth. Yes. Yeah. So so it's very thin. Very thin. <laughs> um, that's the point. And ultimately, I saw that the 62,000-mile cable would... Be, it could be as thin as a piece of saran wrap. Yeah. But it would still be strong enough to not snap. That's so crazy. Under its own weight, 62,000 miles. Like, there is no quality of material outside of this that wouldn't just snap. Yeah. Like a hair, like pulling one of your hairs in, in half. Yeah. Agreed. It, this one will. But the problem is, is you don't make carbon nanotubes you grow them yeah there's a really cool nova video too on youtube where it shows a guy in the lab pulling a uh braided uh forest 
of carbon nanotubes and he starts pulling it and you see it all like coalescing together and he gets like 10 feet away and then it finally snaps. Yeah. And then it just, it's like smaller than a human hair. It just like floats away almost. Okay. So that's, that's longer than I've, I've seen. The record that I saw was four centimeters in length. Yeah. Well, this was, uh, I don't think he, I think it was stretching. I don't think it was the original size. I gotcha. Size. Yeah. Okay. So they, they, the carbon nanotubes grow and then after, like, that's the world record, four centimeters, which is like, uh, 1.6 inches, right? Yeah. That's short. And then it just <laughs> you stops need 60, growing. 62,000 miles. One of the, right, exactly. One of the problems with them not being able to figure out why it stops growing is that scientists don't know why it grows in the first place. Like they they have no idea. They're just like, oh, this happens when you when you do this, right? Um, and they figured out that there are some things like hydrogen gas in certain amounts makes it grow longer. Um, if you do a little too much hydrogen gas, it won't grow at all. So like, there's they're they're figuring this out, but they still are really at a point where they're not. They don't understand carbon nanotubes at all. They were only officially discovered in 1991. Yeah, which is a, a blip in yeah. the scientific community, but. We're making headway, and like you said, once the carbon nanotube technology is uh, able to be made into things that are maybe several meters long, yeah, or they can figure out how to basically wrap it, smaller pieces together mm-hmm. in like you know how you insulate wires with plastic, yeah, something like that without the 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 alloy coming away, yeah, then we'll be able to make this space ribbon. Or the ribbon for the elevator. The space ribbon. Yeah. Which essentially is going to be like a they would braid these things together like a rope, correct? Yes. Which would still be tiny, though. Yeah. So it'll either be like, you know, several meters in length braided yeah. together or really short ones braided together. But either way, they're not just going to make one continuous 62,000 meters or 62,000 mile strand. Yeah. The one thing I didn't get, though, if it's so small, like it needs to be a certain size to have these lifters attached to it, you know? Like, it can't be a human hair. Right. Like, that. You, what, what could you attach to that? They have to gain traction with it. Okay. So, yeah, they're, they're, it, couldn't, it couldn't just be as thin as plastic wrap, even though strength-wise... Right. It, it could be. So that's one of the things they're working on is bulking it up? I guess so, because you have to put the lifter on it like you're saying so the lifter all from now on everything like this all exists we can make this today you and i can make it right now <laughs> well let's get it in the space first what what the idea is that they would spool this thing up once they've created it mm-hmm. they would shoot it into space with some kind of spacecraft right uh once it's in space they would start lowering it back to the earth um toward the platform out in the middle of the sea while it's still going out into space. Right, they'd start lowering the ribbon. Yeah, so it's... But the spool would continue It's going. still going in... It's going in two opposite directions. It'd be like some kid walking the dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and eventually it gets lowered and there's a dude standing on a platform saying, all right, back it down. And he would take it and clip it onto a sea platform, although it would be much more complicated than that. Think about that operation. So this platform is going to be like 400 miles from any shipping or... Airlines, which is important in the equatorial Pacific. Yes, and a sixty-two thousand mile long strand of rope. Even say mm-hmm. it, say it's as thick as like a, a a cable. One of the cables holding the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, imagine catching that, 
I mean, it's obviously not going to be some machine. guy sure. catching it, but <laughs> still, like, there's somebody piloting a machine that, like, I know. And, and, and you, I, I don't know how you would move the, the, um, counterweight around the spool so that you it's could 60, get it. 62,000 miles the, away. I, how are you going to get the thread? This I don't is, know. this is the most difficult aspect of the, the whole program, if you ask me. I think so, too. Grabbing that, that ribbon and connecting it. Although they act like they've got that all figured out. They're like, oh, if we had this nanotube that was this long, right. we're all set. They're like, trust us. Like they've got a guy out on a platform just sitting around waiting waiting for this thing right. to come down from space. So they, so that guy uh, catches the ribbon, mm-hmm. ties it off, probably with a pretty decent sailor's knot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, you attach the lifter to it, right? That's right. Um, the lifter is uh, a robotic thing. It basically, it's, it's sort of like a train track. It uses these traction tread rollers, right? Uh, and it would clamp onto this ribbon, and through something a little more advanced than a gasoline engine, I think. What are they using? A free electron laser to create the energy to do this. Basically, what they're doing is they're going to put solar panels, but made of stuff that really absorbs light from a laser. Right. On the bottom or on the top, probably on both sides. And then they're just going to shoot lasers up and down the ribbon. And then that laser just powers. It's basically like directing sunlight onto photovoltaic cells. Yeah. And then converting that to electricity. It's the same and thing. Then it's just plain old mechanical energy. It's like a little motor right. that would crawl right. uh, at 118 miles an hour, mind you. It's right. not exactly a crawl. That's 190 kilometers It would hour. shoot up this ribbon into space to the uh, final destination, which would be anything. I think that first they talked about capturing an asteroid to serve as, <laughs> as the... Uh, which is just stupid. As the counterweight to um, what I think is smart which would potentially be a satellite or the spacecraft that brought it out there to begin with. Yeah, just unfolding or reconfiguring sure. or whatever, like and then all of a sudden, bam, there's your counterweight. There's the other end of the string, right? And, um, dude, that's it. I mean, after they get this going, they're saying it can basically be a constant operational elevator to the sky, lifting uh, as much as 13 tons of payload at a time mm-hmm. in some cases. Yeah. Humans, maybe? Eventually, yeah. Crazy. I guess the whole point now would be to just shuttle stuff to, say, this the International Space Station. Yeah. Um, supplies, that kind of thing. F- gruel, food. Yeah. Um, or if you had some sort of asteroid mining operation, you could take your daily haul to the space elevator to be brought down. The point That's is, right. this thing could be used for trips to um, lower Earth orbit. Every day. Yeah. Several times a day. Because I think uh, lower Earth orbit is um, between 500 and 1,500 miles. So that's like um, four to 12 hours trip, basically. And they're talking about going further than that, though. Right. But lower Earth orbit is where, like, all of the – that's where all the action is, generally. Sure. Um, The problem is, is that's also where all the space debris is. Yeah, and I think I don't think we mentioned what the best part about all this is. What? Is that it would cost about the closest estimate I've seen is about two hundred dollars a pound. Oh yeah, to deliver stuff to outer space. And what was the space shuttle cost? Ten thousand dollars a pound. Bam. So that's why they're pursuing this is because it's much much more affordable. They likened it to the transcontinental railroad back in the day. Right. Linking space to Earth. Yeah. Okay. So 
the problems, Josh, avoiding um, junk flying around in space. Like, it would suck if you got this thing all hooked up and some asteroid came flying out of nowhere and snapped this thing in half. Well, not just asteroids. Apparently, space debris um, largely refers to junk man-made junk. Yeah. And lower Earth's orbit is lousy with it. Oh, yeah. Um, one, there was a satellite, an old out-of-use satellite collided with a new in-use satellite recently and blew it up. And all of a sudden, two pieces became 4,000 pieces. Yeah. And that's and nothing. That's a drop in the bucket. It is. So um, the problem is, is like even a small, like one centimeter diameter piece is a threat to the space elevator. Yeah. Um, so... Right now, NORAD tracks things as small as ten centimeters. Did you know that? I did once I read this, but I was pretty I was pretty shocked. But they're going to have to start tracking stuff down to one centimeter. So this is another kind of challenge that I don't think people talk about is tracking space debris. Or they're also proposing that we just go up there and get rid of it, like pay contractors to go to space and bring these things down and clean up yeah, our mess. Exactly, that'd be a unique uh, approach, right? Um, it's called active avoidance, and um, it's pretty amazing that you could actually, potentially, because this thing is tethered to a sea platform, mm-hmm. move the sea platform to dodge these things. Yeah, but that would mean that there's like some guy whose job it is to like yeah joystick it. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> it sounds very far fetched, but it's supposedly not super far fetched. No, I mean, this company Liftport, mm-hmm. they're they're one of the private firms that are have been. Uh, I think they partnered with NASA for a while until NASA, you know, their funding has dried up to a large degree. Yeah. So they had to scrap things like partnering with Liftport. But um, Liftport, as of now, I think I read in 2011, they have sort of scrapped, or not scrapped, but they put on the back burner the uh, space-to-Earth version, and they're working on a lunar version. Oh, yeah. So they want to put one of these on the moon, um, which can be done right now. Yeah, if they had the money, that makes sense to me. Um, Not as much gravity, so they don't need the carbon nanotubes. Oh, really? Yeah, they could use a stuff called xylon. It's a th- synthetic polymer, and apparently they could like do this within the decade. Like everything's in place; it's just a matter of doing it. Wow. So yeah, I thought about having one that goes from the Earth to the Moon, or one that goes yeah. from the Earth to Mars, or you know, and you just well, and then from the Moon to Mars, you know, you could connect them. Right. Like station one is here, then you have another one that goes there. And the idea is they're going to build a bunch of these. Right. That's the idea. Because if one goes down because of some space debris, hey, no problem. We've got another one that we built even cheaper uh, over here in this part of the ocean. Right. So that's the idea. What's awesome is this is, I mean, this is far reaching. It sounds futuristic. But it's actually pretty smart, simple idea, like we're just going to build an elevator that goes to space. Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of an old idea. There was a Russian uh, scientist named Konstantin Tsiolkovsky who proposed this in 1895. Yeah, I heard about that. And then um, it kind of went, I think everybody thought he was a crackpot for a while. They thought Da Vinci was too, though. Yeah. Or actually, did they? Uh, no, not Da Vinci. They, they, they think he was a genius back then too? Probably. Okay. Uh, except for his flying machine, I think that well, that's what lost him some credibility. Yeah. Um, but then Arthur Arthur C. Clarke comes along and, and writes about this in uh, uh, Fountains of Paradise in 1978, and he was he very clearly saw like the big problem was the ribbon. If you could figure out the yeah. ribbon, everything else would be fine. Which is still the problem. Yeah. 
Arthur C. Clarke way ahead of his time. Man. So that's pretty much it. I mean, if they get this lunar one going, they're, they're talking about deep space exploration from a lunar-based system, which, you know, the benefit there is is it costs a lot of money to get from here to the moon. If you could shuttle a uh, the components of a rocket up to the moon yeah. and just get it going up there, it would be a lot cheaper. Right. We talked about that with asteroid mining, that that was another idea, is oh, yeah. you could launch things from these asteroids or whatever, because the the a vast majority, remember 90% of the weight of a space shuttle is in the fuel? Yeah. Almost all of that is just used within the first, like, 10 miles. Yeah. Then after that, you start to escape Earth's orbit and don't you need are, much juice. Exactly. So, um, yeah, if you could if you could get rid of all that, like you just drop the cost tremendously. Pretty cool space. stuff. Space. I know. I mean, I'm curious to see within a decade if we're going to have a space elevator from the moon to something else. We will be riding one. You think so? Yeah. Well, it all depends on funding. That's like these ideas are all great in practice. But unless you have billions of dollars to get it right. going. But think about Jeff Bezos has billions of dollars. Sure. Um, Elon Kurt, Musk. Kurt Cameron. That's the, James Cameron. <laughs> Elon Musk. These guys have cash, to, and this is what they're putting their money into, this kind of thing. So I don't think it's going to come down to NASA funding. I think it's going to come down to the will of guys like Kurt Cameron. Well, Kurt Cameron uh, does not have billions of dollars, but he does have a fine collection of faith-based movies. Yeah. Direct-to-video. I know. That you can check out. But not the dirty kind of direct-to-video. No, 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 no. Uh, I guess that's about it, right? It's pretty much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Private space exploration is definitely the wave of the future. We should put in a, a request for this article to be updated, but I'm afraid to. I think they'll be like, have at it. Yeah. I'm afraid to do that, too. Well, uh, if you want to read a hilariously out-of-date article on how stuff works that still captures what's going on with the space elevator. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and with some cool artist's rendering of stuff, you can type in space elevator. That's at the handy search bar at a great little website called HowStuffWorks.com. And I said search bar, which means it's time now for listener mail. Uh, Josh, I'm going to call this Dead Sea follow-up. Um, and I should mention, we got a, a lot of emails from Dead Sea visitors and tourists and a lot of photos. And one thing we did not cover, because I haven't been there and experienced this, but we said swim in the Dead Sea a lot. There ain't a lot of swimming going on in the Dead Sea. There's, floating? The, there's a lot of floating and flailing because they just say it's really disorienting huh. because you're so used to the way you move in water, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that's totally different. Cool. So people are like gasping, and <laughs> eventually they'll learn to trust and relax and float on their back. You don't want to go on your stomach. Mm-hmm. You don't want to try and swim, mm-hmm. um, and you don't want to get it in your face because it will oh, man, really yeah. sting your eyes, yeah. and it tastes really bad. And we had this one lady that wrote in whose husband was suffering. They advise you not to go in with cuts or open sores, obviously. Yeah. Her husband was suffering from a little... Um, it's called many different things. When you walk a lot and you get chafed between the legs. Oh, yeah. It goes by many different uh, crude names. Mm-hmm. But he had a bad case of this oh, and uh, didn't tell his family that he was traveling with. His wife knew. And he went in the Dead Sea, oh. promptly got out, and the family was like, where did you know the son-in-law go? And she was like, uh, maybe he's just not into it. <laughs> All right. So this is from Daniel. But thanks to everyone else who wrote in. I uh, just finished the Dead Sea podcast, had a couple of interesting tidbits. 
Uh, you briefly mentioned the Great Salt Lake when talking about the high salinity of the Dead Sea. Uh, these two lakes actually have quite a bit in common. Uh, both lakes are located in a desert region, although the elevation is drastically different. Uh, like the Dead Sea, the Great Salt Lake here in Utah has a very high salt content, about 27%, making it hard for anything but halophilic bacteria in some brine shrimp to grow. Uh, this guy's a graduate student, by the way, at BYU. Uh, both lakes are fed mainly by a smaller freshwater lake, roughly 50 miles away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dead Sea being fed by the uh, Sea of Galilee to the north by way of the Jordan River. The Great Salt Lake is fed by Utah Lake to the south, also by the Jordan River. Coincidence? <laughs> Not sure. Uh, in both cases, the water leaves the lake only through evaporation. Uh, and like the Dead Sea, there are many areas the Great Salt Lake that are quite stinky at times, mainly in the muddy waters mm-hmm. where the uh, level is low. Uh, the Great Salt Lake is also dense enough for you to float with little to no effort. Uh, so if you are not able to ever make it over to Europe to visit the Dead Sea, I would say the Middle East, wouldn't you? Sure. Okay. Uh, you can head on over for a float in its little American cousin out here in Utah. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. I really enjoy the wide variety of topics. And that... It's from Daniel, who was a uh, grad student at BYU studying microbiology. So good for you, my friend. Nice. Much smarter than I am. Yeah. Well, yeah. Grad student, that's all I have to say. English undergrad, microbiology grad. That is a well-rounded human being. Agreed. Um, Oh, wait. You're the English undergrad. Yeah. Well, if you put the two of you together, you're a well-rounded human (laughs) being. Exactly. Um, if you have some ideas of how to put me and Chuck together to form another superhuman, um, we'd want to hear them. Uh, also, if you just want to say hi or you have something cool or interesting to tell us, a great fact. We love those. Love them. That you'd like us to tweet. Yeah. Or put on Facebook. You can send those to via Twitter, SYSK Podcast, via Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And you can send us a, an email. Electronic mail um, to stuffpodcast at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?